The Guardian. I'm Dan Saber, and welcome to Media Talk. Now, your regular and indeed charming host, John Plunkett, is unfortunately in his sickbed, so I'm afraid you're stuck with me this week. Still, you know, we've got a cracker of a lead item. As revealed exclusively by Media Guardian, Mark Thompson, the BBC DG since, well, forever, or rather 2004, has revealed to senior colleagues at the corporation that is ready to step down as Director General within the next 12 months. He hasn't yet given an absolutely precise timetable for his departure, but it seems certain now that the corporation's Olympic year will be Thompson's eighth and final one at the helm. So, we've got plenty to talk about. Who are the runners and riders for the DG role? Might it be time for a woman to take the chop job on British television? What do we think of Mark Thompson? Has he fallen out with Lord Patton or, you know, is he jumping or was he pushed? Well, joining me on the line to talk this over is the formidable media journalist, the one and only Maggie Brown. Maggie, before we get on to some of the names, I think, is this the right time for Mark to go? You know, what's going on between him and Lord Patton, do you think? Well, I think actually that eight years, which is what he will have done, um, is, is, is the longest that I can remember. And I've been reporting on media for 30 years. I'm glad you didn't call me veteran. I'm usually called that as well. <laughs> um, I think that it's always the case, and this is what I've observed, that no director general really wants to ever leave the job because it's such a powerful job at the pinnacle of British society. <laughs> so I think there has been an element of, uh, well, you know, um, not exactly showing him the door, but I think there's been a bit of a nudge, actually. Um, and I thought that this week's developments, uh, starting with the revelation from uh, Lord Patton that he called in Egon Sender, the um, uh, headhunter. Wasn't that a curious way to Very do it, curious. though? Because there, there he is, Lord Patton, you know, g- g- doing, doling out an interview this time to the Times, and he sort of says, oh, I love Mark Thompson, and we, I don't want him to leave, and he must, you know, do so at a moment only of his own choosing. Oh, but by the way, I've appointed these headhunters, you know, just to get things moving. I mean, that yeah, seemed, wasn't said, that a bit of a push? Oxford, we were both there, but, um, you know, well, I had to say something, because if you've got headhunters in, uh, they're going to start talking to people, you and the news that? would have dribbled out. Do you, do, um, do you buy I, that? I think he's, what we're actually seeing is Patton, a formidable politician, also reinstate or reasserting the power of the chairman of the trust, i.e. the key job of the chairman of the trust is to appoint the director general of the BBC. And I, I would be... Uh, I think it's human nature, to be honest, that even if Mark Thompson was the most amazing director general, which I don't think he is, uh, that, that he would, the, the chairman would want his own man in the job. Yeah, I think the need to say the Thompson camp have been very eager to say that he, he, there's no, no, no push, not even a gentle nudge that Mark's been on board with this all along. He's signalled it to Lord Patton and that he's you know, psychologically ready, I think we say in The Guardian. It sounds like you're not quite buying that. that maybe Patton is helping him on um, his way. I think, uh, I think that he, he's a realist. The real problem is that no director general that I've known is really going to want to uh, bring along successors. I mean, however much you think you should have a succession plan and however much the trust had wanted one, it wasn't clear to me, and I suspect to you, that there was um, a real succession plan going on. In fact, the kind of use that Thompson made until this time last year of Mark Byford as his deputy director general, somebody who was never going to get the top job, suggests that he's used uh, a certain positions almost as a shield and a buttress to him uh, rather than to develop new talents. It's human nature. And, I mean, the, the other point about this is, and I, I think, I, I wouldn't say it is the cause of this, but it is a factor uh, it's, if you've listened to Patton, as I know we both have, you know that he is very exercised about the issue of senior pay at the BBC, top BBC pay, mm. and he intends to bring it way down. And that can't really be done in a structured way 
uh, while you still have a director general who, to my knowledge, and certainly to my personal knowledge, up until August 2010, was absolutely convinced that um, the level of pay he had was correct and was continually re- referring as a, as a reference point to the people who ran B Sky B and uh, ITV, commercial players in the commercial world. He, 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 to my mind, never got his head around the fact that basically the BBC is a public service funded by licensed fee payers, even though, of course, there is a bit added in by BBC Worldwide from but, commercial sources. But, I think that was a fault line between the two of them. Sure. But there's a challenge here, though, isn't it? Because obviously Lord Patton wants to pay, you know, the next DG a lot less, although we don't, we don't seem to have a precise sum. Perhaps you've got a thought on what that might be. Can they realistically a- attract a compelling candidate, or are we in fact saying it's going to have to be a BBC internal appointment because only BBC folks will take, I don't know, 300,000 a year? Well, unless the world has changed, I suspect uh, it would be perfectly possible. I I would have said the figure's probably 400,000, but I I, I don't know the thinking behind um, the current... Nice uh, work if you can get it either way. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the second point is that I I have observed, again, I I think about John Birch, who became uh, Deputy Director General in 87 after the debacle. He became uh, Director General in 1993, by doing so, he most certainly lost out on the millions that people made at London Weekend Television uh, when the company was uh, was sold to, to Granada. Um, so my experience of the BBC is that people will take top jobs because of their prestigious nature and because what they can lead to afterwards. I was actually at the Oxford Media Convention. To, to buttress this, it's a minor point, but there was the new chief executive there and his first week uh, of S4C, the Welsh language broadcaster. He has moved from New York and the History Channel, part of A&E, a mm. uh, very prosperous, well-paid job in, in New York, uh, to a much lower-paid job in Cardiff for a beleaguered Welsh, national, <laughs> Welsh language broadcaster. And when I said to him, well, you know, what about it? He said, but this kind of job only comes up once in a lifetime, and I, I just went for it. And I think that that will be the case with the BBC. There will be a lot of competition for this job. But there are very few candidates who are uh, equipped, really, to do it properly. Okay. I want to come back to runners and riders in a bit, uh, tantalise the listener. But So what do we think about Mark Thompson, though, in the, in the Thompson years? I mean, it's, I think it's easy to say he leaves the BBC in a better place than he found it, because when he walked in, it was in an absolute sort of post-Hutton chaos. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, uh, he does, leave, does he not leave the BBC, at, you know, in his eight-year reign? This is sort of the most benign time for the corporation, isn't it? You know, nobody's on the BBC's case. The licence fee is settled. Rows about talent pay, even standards are subdued. There's no political pressure. This is a good time to go, isn't it? Yes, it is a relatively good time to go. And uh, I would not dispute that the fact is over an eight-year period. Um, he has clearly managed to steer the BBC into calmer waters, and uh, it has avoided um, any enormous backlash um, from uh, a very raucous uh, Conservative government, which, of course, we haven't got. We've got a coalition. I- I'm not a huge fan, although some people are, of the settlement, which was struck uh, 14 months ago, the licence fee settlement, um, because I, I do think there were aspects of it, and I would include in that uh, the treatment of the World Service, which I think were regrettable. Um, I also think he made a quite serious mistake um, when he first launched his um, Delivering Quality First document, which was meant to be a sort of campaign, really, for a strong licence fee settlement, which, of course, revealed that there was 
under his proposals, almost like a slush fund of £600 million of free cash that but, would be available. But Maggie, on the line, just, uh, And now I think that that tempted the government in mm. to, uh, to, to freeze and to add on extra duties uh, in October of uh, 2010. But just on the licence fee settlement, I mean, wasn't a freeze is what he could realistically achieve, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, freeze, the, the, yes, but, because... But, well, I'm sorry, Dan, because of the I'm political climate. the addition of extra duties, which have actually created quite sure. a big cut, whether it's the funding of S4C, which I was referring to earlier, or, or the World Service. I mean, I, I think that, that that element of it was, to some extent, provoked by, by the initial Delivering Quality First document, which did propose almost the creation of a, a £600 million pound, uh, fund to invest in different okay. programmes. Well, what, about the, what about the early years, Maggie? Because, I mean, it feels to me that the, the, his DG ship, if that's the right way of describing it, very much comes in two parts. There was a sort of very... I don't know if belligerence the word, but certainly quite a sort of arrogant Thompson in the early years, you know, the one that made the, the huge above inflation licence fee bid uh, the time before last, uh, uh, the one who was by, you know, leading the buying of the Lonely Planet, that sort of expansionist BBC, which nearly sort of steered them into disaster because suddenly they were terribly short on friends when uh, inevitably, because always, something always goes wrong now and again, when, you know, when Saxgate happened or when the phone-ins happened. I mean, I mean, there was a sort of, wasn't there quite a really difficult moment around Saxgate, wasn't there? Wasn't that sort of something yeah, that Thompson was. built I, up to? I agree with you. And I think that from the point he came in in 2004, uh, remember he was buttressed for the first two years by Michael Grade, a very self-confident performer. And um, although they didn't get the kind of license fee settlement and uh, sort of uh, all of the additional things they were asking for, um, yes, he was, I think, quite an arrogant um, player. And yes, it did, uh, I'm afraid, all evaporate very quickly. As it, it, I think, though, at the same time, there were things like the Culture Media Sports Select Committee. There were a lot of critics building up over the level of top pay, over uh, the pay that they were paying to some of their extravagant pay to some of their stars in radio as well as television. And I think that they were very, very slow to pick up on this. Uh, in and fact, he's never really dealt think, with I, the I top that pay, that, is he? Sorry? He's never really dealt with the top pay issue, is no, he? No, that's what I mean. And I think that this is a, I do think this is a fault line which has continued, if you like, from 2004, growing in importance, ignored by Thompson as far as he could. He still, I don't think, really gets it. Um, and this was a major issue between um, him and the previous chairman, and I think it continues to this day. Okay, but what about uh, what about the programming? I mean, the, the, the crea- creatively, the BBC seems to be as strong, maybe stronger than ever. I mean, certainly, the sort of the, the underlying principle of a sort of licence fee funded broadcaster, scale and scope, delivering great programmes loved by the British public, is uh, perhaps appreciated under Thompson's rule. What's your verdict on that? No, my verdict is that the BBC programming overall. Um, has not just been strong. In some areas, it's been uh, quite inspirational. And I think that he was fortunate in inheriting, um, they've had to be developed, um, some of the excellent digital channels as well, like CBBS, to a lesser extent CBBC, that have reinforced uh, uh, the BBC's public service credentials. I wouldn't say the news is is, is exactly in the most wonderful of places. It, It can be slow and it can be rather torpid, as we saw over, um, uh, uh, over Libya. But uh, BBC One and BBC Two have, in their different ways, managed to produce um, a, a, an array of hits, whether sitcom or drama or uh, factual programming, uh, reinventing astronomy recently, for example. These are all interesting and uh, varied developments. And uh, my only concern is, this is what I, I have noticed over these 
uh, years of endless sort of 3% cuts is that the closer you get to the point of broadcast or where people are actually making programs, it seems that the, 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 the economies and the cuts seem to bite deepest. So as someone who knew how Radio 4 was, say, 15 or 20 years ago, it just terrifies me at the lack of, say, money that's spent on researchers and, and producers, the people who actually hold the backbone together. And the same, to my, in my view, occurs in places like uh, the soaps, EastEnders, Casualty, Holby City, where uh, massive amounts of ratings are delivered for actually very uh, low prices. So hmm. that, that aspect of the BBC under Thompson does worry me because I do ask myself where a lot of this 3.8 billion of licensing money is actually going even now okay let's let, let's start may let's start enjoying ourselves let, <laughs> let, let's think about sort of who might take over now yeah. in the guardian today we sort of helpfully printed you know printed a list of eight names yeah, uh, we've gone 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 for folks like peter fincham you know obviously fell out of the crown gate affair but maybe could come back david abraham at channel four and internally uh, caroline thompson chief operating officer i think george entwist he runs bbc vision Helen Bowden, director of news, uh, really, I think the sort of the, the three front-running internal candidates. Yeah. Don't know if you would who who would you pick out? Would it be one of that group? Want to be the, one of that group of names, or uh, uh, well, is there I someone else we should watch? As a wild card, I would actually add in Ed Richards, the chief executive of Ofcom, um, partly because I suspect after ten years at Ofcom, um, he's probably looking to change as well. Um, I think he has, in recent years, uh, managed to. Uh, create a very good public profile for himself, a lower public profile, but he comes across as somebody who understands the entire media waterfront. Uh, I also think he was ahead of the curve. In fact, he started rationalizing and cutting back Ofcom's expenses uh, before the 2010, well before the 2010 election and the, uh, the, 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 the attack on, on, on public uh, debt. And he's managed to... to uh, create a sense that Ofcom is a very, very useful organisation. I mean, I was very struck by the Culture Minister, Ed Vasey, describing uh, Ofcom this week as um, one of the fine... Well, no, no, he called it the finest media regulator in the world. There he said, go. that's my view. Uh, OK, that gives us a, that's an interesting outside name. But let's look at the internal candidates for a second. I mean, if you were, if you were, if you were picking, uh, whom, who do you think is the front-runner internally, or is there no obvious front-runner internally? Well, this is this problem of, you know, the mighty oak doesn't encourage any, any, any competitors. Um, of them, I suppose, Helen Bowden, because she um, is... Uh, shot through with public service broadcasting values. Um, she came out as the clean pair of hands in the in the whole Hutton um, incident. Um, she can be a bit is, tactless sometimes, though. Can't uh, no, she? no, I know. But, I mean, I'm just trying to explain why she's, in a way, ahead uh, 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 of one of the most important areas of BBC output, which is news and current affairs, which is, of course, where Thompson uh, really uh, comes from as well, although he had... Uh, spells running channels and, and running regional broadcasting. Um, so, uh, and also, of course, she has this wonderful uh, attribute. She's a woman, uh, and she seems very reasonable. So, in a world where everybody is saying, "Where are the women in boardrooms, etc., cetera, etc.?" Cetera, uh, it would be a great coup uh, for, for for the BBC if they did have um, a female candidate. I'm kind of semi impressed, but I would also add that you know she was pretty. Um, clear that um, the cuts had to go ahead to um, local journalism, which of course have now been to some extent uh, reversed. I can't see somehow why 
Carolyn Thompson is in such a strong position. She's the chief operating officer of the of the BBC, and she's been responsible for all sorts of things, including uh, that the, the rebuilding of a broadcasting house. I mean, what she's, about uh, what about George Entwistle? You know, chosen with you know by Egon Zender, no less, as a yeah. well, I don't know, I, a possible it successor. A too early, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't feel I know I mean, much about probably, him. You know, uh, sort of shown his uh, credentials, and we don't know really how well which you have to be able to do, how well he can uh, perform in public and, and, you know, debating. I mean, the one thing about Thompson is that he has a formidable intellect. And yes. although he has very, shown very little evidence, in my opinion, of commercial nous, um, he does know how to put an argument together. and, yeah, he and stands draw, up well for the corporation. You know, yeah. strands, st- strands together to make a very good case for the BBC in all sorts of sticky areas. What about, OK, what about, you, you, you've obviously mentioned Ed, but what about outside the corporation? Should we take, I don't know, David Abraham or Peter Fincham seriously? Or, uh, you know, I don't know, we suggested Mark Scott, who runs ABC in yes, Australia. Yeah, I, I mean, I noticed that. And I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that if you are going to um, employ um, an internationally renowned headhunter, that does imply that you're going to look in you know, unusual areas. Um, but on the other hand, whenever a broadcaster's really tried to do that, they tend to come back to a Brit. Um, it's such a, unique, I, I, I it's such a it's unique institution, isn't it, Maggie? <laughs> you know, yeah. How could yeah. you... I, I think... I could see you might find a public service broadcaster from abroad, but I think you've got to have television experience and you've got to, you've got to really know the UK well, haven't you? Exactly, because, I mean, we're not talking about an organisation, as you quite rightly said before, Dan, which is broke. Um, the David Abraham uh, question is interesting because um, clearly this week he positioned himself as somebody who was delivering well on, at Channel 4, had stayed, more than stabilised it, and was confident enough and had the backing of his quite powerful board um, to move money across to reinforce spending on original uh, British production. Uh, again, it seems to have come a bit too early uh, for him, and he doesn't have that kind of editorial experience of dealing with these crises that uh, arise over, uh, you know, from, from outer space almost, it seems sometimes to the BBC, over editorial issues. But um, I would have said he has uh, gone up the league rather than down the league over the past two okay. years. And, uh, uh, I don't know about Peter Finchon's... Do you think he can um, come back? Sorry? Do you think the Crown Gate thing was too much? It isn't that. It's just so much that if you... If you I mean, if you talk to him, if you, if, if, if you listen to what he has to say, he seems to really relish running, running television, picking programmes, mm. running schedules, uh, dealing with talent, um, being what you might call a, a quite traditional broadcaster. And I don't know whether... I mean, he's an ambitious man. I, I really don't know whether his, his ambitions lie in that direction. I suspect if people invite him in for an interview, he's bound to go. And if he was offered it, who would turn it down? But I just don't quite see the fit. And yes, Crowngate is, is an issue too. Although Let's, um, Maggie, we need to sort of wind things up a little. So why don't we have two, two, two fun questions at the end, which is who would be your sort of wild card candidate? It would be fun if they, were, if they became the next DG. Uh, well, actually, I'm afraid I've already named it because I don't think wildcard people will get it. I've actually said Ed Richards because I actually think that of all the, the more I think about it, the person who nobody's talked about but who has got some of the uh, credentials and certainly has a lot of ad- admirers, unbelievably so, mm. in, 
in government would, would seem to be him. Well, my, my, my producer suggests Richard Desmond, which really, really won't happen, and I think would be the clearly disastrous. I, I like the idea of Elizabeth Murdoch, who actually sort of is almost plausible, but but of course not. Uh, uh, and, and lastly, come on, what's your favourite Thompson anecdote? Then, uh, you know, whether from DG or otherwise, your favourite bit of Thompson fun? How will you remember well, the, him the, frivolously? The, well, the thing I remember him most for is um, when he was actually. Uh, called in for an interview with um, uh, with, with Vanny Cheeves, the chairman of Channel 4, and um, they met uh, in a hotel only to be immediately spotted by a very um, nosy independent producer. And so Thompson, having this sort of quiet cup of tea, suddenly in, in an hour was uh, obviously going to be the next chief executive of Channel 4, and it just amused me so much, really, that, you know, a big beast could be so caught out, really. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a good little story. I, uh, I was like the man bites man anecdote, which goes to show that you can, you know, it's possible to sort of rise up through the ranks, even if you're, I don't know, physically abusive to your well, colleagues. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, I, mean, I think what, what I, I've always thought Janine Gibson, our former media editor, um, made the most shrewd observation about Mark Thompson, uh, which is that, and, and I think this may slightly hinder him as he looks for a new job, that the closer you got to him, the colder he was. He's a very um, focused person, and um, it, it, it's interesting that um, he, he, he doesn't seem to have a very warm kind of fan club around him. Yeah, but I think he's done a pretty good job. Maggie, yep, listen... I, I'm not denying we, that either, and, and I, I hope he, you know, I, what, I think he hasn't got a new job lined up, but I, I'm sure he will go on to a really good, you know, another substantial job. And I'm sure Mark Thompson's got oodles of talent in another direction. That is it for this week. It's a small, but I'm sure you'll agree, perfectly formed show. There's more on Mark Thompson's imminent departure on mediaguardian.co.uk. And if you didn't know, I'm Dan Sabat, and Media Talk is produced by the formidable Ben Green, even, this is what the script says, even when he has the beginnings of man flu. What a trooper you are, Ben. Thank you very much for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.